what's going on everybody hope you are having a wonderful week so far um before i start i say every week please subscribe please give us a review if you like it and please share it with your friends um if you like the podcast it just makes sure that the podcast keeps going um and we can keep doing more and more episodes um and hopefully we can get bigger and bigger guests for you all so podcast time this week one and only ben malone ben is a radio dj a club dj a producer and also a record a and r um he is an a and r for amada records amada music he is a dj at kiss fm has a friday night show 11 p.m till 1 a.m um he also does a tomorrowland radio show he does a lot um and i've been looking forward to getting him on for a while so we talk a lot about record labels. We talk about new music. We talk about how radio shows work, et cetera, et cetera. It's a really interesting one. Very, um, very wide spectrum of podcast. Lot to learn and some good conversation. So without further ado, Ben Malone. Mr. Ben Malone, what's cooking, man? How you doing, Will? You are right? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I'm going to actually turn you up a little bit. Because you're coming in a bit. There we go, talk. That better? Yeah, that's better. better. Yeah, that's better, man. Wicked. What's going on, man? I'm good. I'm good. Kind of just getting back into the swing of things now. Yeah, I want to say Happy New Year, but we're kind of lying because technically this is coming out in the new year and it's actually like... <laughs> I was going along with it. You were going along with it. It's the 20th <laughs> December. We, st- we we can't be we can't be fake. We'll get caught out. Somebody's going to find out. But yeah, uh, Happy New Year. Fake Happy, happy new, new Year. year. <laughs> <laughs> new, new Year, new me and all of that. Oh, exactly. How many people have you seen say that yet on their Instagram? Uh, yeah, quite a few. It's getting, it's building up. So everyone's kind of doing the now, the like the December regret. They're like, oh, December's been so busy. I'm going to be a hermit in January. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to go to the gym every day. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, definitely everyone's kind of gearing up for January. Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting because I remember like pre-COVID. It was like every year you'd get like everybody would be like next year's my year blah 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 and now I think everyone's just a bit nervous for what's to come <laughs> so it's We've like bitten before yeah it's like people are a little bit more chill to like say really positive stuff um, it's quite funny how's 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 the year been for you there man do you know what it's been it's been great it's yeah. been carnage I feel like this year was kind of the first full year that we returned to. Maybe potentially even busier than pre-COVID, yeah, if yeah, not yeah. as busy as pre-COVID. And yeah. yeah, it's just been kind of everything from events through to kind of, I think dance music has kind of properly found its feet again in terms of the club <coughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been a wicked year and I feel like the whole industry is is in a hell of a lot of a better shape now than it, than it was this time last year. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, and this year feels like a blur, but I actually think this time last year we were hanging out. Yeah, it would have been about this. That week was like the year. first time we ha- we actually met. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. this week. That's crazy. Yeah, weird. <laughs> I only just remembered that. Good times. That was. I obviously I'm sober, but everyone was messy as fuck, and I, I, remember, I was messy yeah. as fuck. <laughs> That's my kind of lasting memory of seeing you there, being like, oh, I'm really. Pissed. Really hammered. <laughs> there was a bunch of us. You know, Dom from Labour Works. 
Yeah. We were eating bagels off Brick Lane at like <laughs> two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> That's a sign of a good night. A Quality sign of a good night. night. When you're in that Brick Lane bagel shop, Quality you know it's night. been a good night. And then I had to look after Amy. Oh, it was just, <laughs> just a messy night. It's good fun though. It's good fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's uh, the everything's been crazy this year, and it feels I don't know. Obviously, this isn't for everybody, and like we're for, we're in very fortunate situations with what we do and kind of <clears throat> how our careers have kind of grown over post COVID, right? Mm. Um, but um, yeah, it seems to have been. 2023 seems to be kind of no 2022 fucking hell seems to be like a crazy crazy year for a lot of people yeah it's just been like i think because we kind of we wanted this year for so long right we wanted a year yeah. where we had the full 12 months to kind of work on every different part of the year mm. um we didn't really kind of have any restrictions anymore yeah and then that was kind of from every level, from like a production point of view, you could just do <coughs> sessions with whoever you wanted. Yeah. You could travel to go and see people wherever you wanted. From a DJing point of view, you could you could play any shows. You don't have to get a, a vaccine certificate or wear yeah. a mask to go to play your gigs. I tell you what, though, I played in Spain this weekend, and you still have to fucking wear a mask on the planes to Spain. Oh, I had that. I went to Ibiza <laughs> a couple of oh, about a month ago now, and they were still like pushing that. I was like, "Are you mad?" Yeah. I was like, <laughs> "How?" <laughs> How does this make sense? We're literally all going to get off the plane and go hang out in a club together. Like, it's the same people. Like Everyone's got flu anyway at the moment. It's we're like, all Ill, we're, yeah. we're all fucking sick. Just like, come on, spread it. Yeah, it's mad. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you, though. It's um, It's been a good one. It's been a really good one. Like, looking back, it's been, yeah, fortunate, man. You've, you... I was I was just before this podcast I was sat down and was like okay let me do like five minutes of research into Ben Malone because I I thought I well I was correcting what I thought of like everything you do you you're still at Kiss right correct yes I do Friday nights there Friday nights at Kiss yep um obviously you DJ and produce and you're also A and R for Amada correct yes. You... And I also do radio for Tomorrowland. <clears throat> okay, cool. I didn't know that. So that's a, that's the first oh, one yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, you wear a lot of hats um, yeah. in this industry and kind of have a lot of influence, um, I guess, as of such. And I kind of want to go into how you manage all of that without it kind of crossing over and one getting in the way of the other if that makes sense yeah i think firstly it all stemmed from radio was where it all began yeah and everything else has kind of grown out from there um and i actually kind of what i like about it all is it kind of complements each other a lot of it yeah um so it started with radio so i was originally well my first job in radio i was a producer at rinse mm -hmm. um then i went and did a show at a station called represent in mm. brixton um, and then a few years later joined Kiss. Yeah. Um, and at that time I was working in like an office job full time. Yeah. Kind of, you know, nine to five in it and, and doing the radio and the DJ and on the side. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point when I got the Kiss gig that I thought, you know, I, I know I know I want to do this. This is the career I want to take. Yeah. Um, I wasn't producing or anything at that time. Um, so it was always kind of like radio is my thing. Yeah. Um, and... I thought, right, well, why don't I get a job in the industry mm. rather than getting a job in, a, in, a, in an office kind of doing yeah, yeah. something else? 
So I, as part of being a Kiss DJ, you kind of get the opportunity to go and meet a lot of the labels and the teams behind yeah. the records, you know, to get pitched songs and stuff. Um, that's how I know people like Billy from Another Rhythm, yeah. therefore Amy. And then also I met a guy called Phil, who's A&R at Armada. Mm. Um, and then Armada at the time only really had a couple of people in the UK and they decided they wanted to grow out their UK office. So they yeah. were looking to hire a team. Mm. Um, so I kind of got into I got into Armada through that. Um, and in a weird way, A&R and radio shows are very similar. Very similar, yeah. Because your job is to select music that you like, that you think other people will like, and that you think has some kind of unrealized potential. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of com- lot of similarities there, and obviously, you know, it's it's a bit of a proven route. You've got Pete Tong, who obviously one of the greatest broadcasters of all time, yeah. uh, and of course is very much involved in label worlds. Yeah. But people like Anton Powers at Kiss as well. Yeah. Um, you know, heavily involved in label world as well. So that was kind of where it all began, and then the production stuff that came with lockdown. Just kind of hand in hand as well, right? Yeah, I'd always been interested in it, but I'd never had the time or never yeah. had the kind of opportunity to to sit down and actually get stuck into it. Yeah. And it got to the point where a lot of, particularly at Kiss, a lot of the guys are producers originally turned radio DJs, yeah. whereas kind of I was coming at it from a different angle. Mm. And I just thought, right, well, there's an opportunity here to, to, to kind of get involved with this scene. Yeah. Um, so I took that on last. I think that will always be the smallest part of my career. Yeah. I enjoy it a lot. I love releasing music. I love the feeling you get releasing music and yeah, playing yeah. your records out. But it's not how I got into this industry. Yeah. And it's not... Um, I, if people ask me, what do I do? I say, oh, I'm a radio DJ and an yeah, A&R and yeah. I do some production. Yeah, I would never say I'm a producer. Like, well, I think this is the thing, is, isn't it? It's like, with no disrespect, but like, to, even to become a radio DJ, even to become an A&R, it takes time. You have to get good at it. Yeah. It takes time. It's the same as production. It takes time. Yeah. And it's like you're at the point in your career, you're successful in where you're at because you put the time and effort into it. And if you put the time and effort into being the producer, that's going to, your other side of the career isn't going to kind of carry on and keep growing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And there just isn't the time in the day to kind of be master of all, <laughs> of all things. And, and I, there's yeah, just nobody that I just don't see any value in it. I think yeah. I, I see huge value in doing multiple things. And I think like, I kind of want to talk about that as well, but like, I think that there, there comes a point when you have to be focused on one thing. And then once that For one sure. thing is nailed, you can then move on to do <coughs> other things. If you know absolutely, what I mean. absolutely. But you could definitely got to kind of focus on, on something, especially when we are kind of, Still relatively young in our careers, yeah. um, you know, in, in the global scale of things. Yeah, massive. Um, well, if you look at the, like, especially in your situation, you look at like Tong, like how, yeah. well, let's look at like Annie Nightingale. Yeah. Like how old is she? Yeah. Uh, I, it's like. I got to Google this. I think it's knocking on 80, 80 right? yeah. Annie Nightingale. That's my guess. Age. Jesus, she was a presenter in 1970. She's 82. Yeah, crazy. So anybody that's listening that doesn't know Annie Nightingale, Annie Nightingale is, I'd say, the oldest presenter in the world, I guess so. She's got to be, especially on a a youth radio station, essentially. Um, 
and she her show is absolutely amazing on Radio yeah. 1. Um, I think she was the first female DJ on Radio 1. Was she? Amazing. I think she was the first female broadcaster, so she's kind of got a massive um, yeah. significance in, in broadcasting world. That makes sense. Um, yeah, she's huge. Yeah. That's amazing to think about that. Yeah. I bet she's got some stories. I bet she's got... She knows where the skeletons are buried. Literally. <laughs> literally. Because especially back then, like, radio was, like, different back then. Radio, Especially Radio 1, the power of the BBC back then yeah. was just crazy. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, obviously there's been all sorts of stuff that has come out in the last few years about BBC buildings and what hasn't happened gone how it has and hasn't gone on in those buildings. And, and you know, the whole landscape was totally different. Yeah. Radio 1 was was the only option as opposed to... You didn't have Spotify, you didn't have, yeah. you know... You didn't even have CDs, I don't think, back then. <laughs> well, it's, it's really interesting, the radio culture in the UK generally, right? And if you compare it to anywhere else, like, you might know a little bit more about me than, it, than me, but I know, like, the Netherlands has, like, a, a bit of a radio culture. Yeah. But you go to america you have a radio culture but it's very much hip-hop based now it is anyway nowadays like in detroit yep. you back in the day you used to have like more you'd have like a show that was electronic based yep. um new york i believe you used to have like one show that was more like electronic dance based but no, but like nothing like england where you have <coughs> well growing up for me it was like you had Kiss, you had Vibe, which was Kiss, kind of, at, like, yeah. during that time. Um, Radio 1. But you had Rinse, and then you had p all the pirate stations that were just around. Yeah. There's pirate stations everywhere. Um, and then Capital, kind of, but no one really listened to Capital at the time. Capital was very commercial at, the, at that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Radio 1, like, you'd Radio 1 and Kiss were the ones at that time. And you just like listen all the time, and it would always there'd always be some sort of dance music at some point in the day, or and then you have the Friday nights, Saturday nights. It's it's amazing what British culture or or the influence that radio had in British British culture. Definitely, and it, and it's so much stronger here than than I think, particularly the US, but also just across Europe. We you know you mentioned Netherlands. The Netherlands is good for dance radio. Mm. Obviously, dance music is has a big home there. Yeah, uh, you go to. Well, you take the kind of shows that we, we view as a, a traditional radio show, you, especially your kind of headline ones, your Annie Mac, your Danny Howard's, yeah. your Majestics on Kiss and stuff. That kind of hosted, personality-driven, tastemaker yeah. radio, it's just not really a thing across most of Europe. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's kind of mixed shows, and yeah. DJ mixes just kind of being broadcast out on the air. And, and it, there's definitely not the kind of same emphasis on this person is... They're not... They're not a producer. They're not. They're just a broadcaster. Yeah. Like you know, yeah, Annie yeah. Mac, I think, is the best example of someone who never really got involved with anything else. She just, I'm a broadcaster. I make great radio. Yeah. Like, I don't think that that, and that, and her reputation obviously is now global, worldwide. She's got festivals. She's done gigs. You know, she's done her own yeah. events and stuff. That that is all based on on radio originally, mm. and I don't think that you have that kind of culture. Um, across Europe and the US is just it's totally different yeah like you said like it's the thing I find difficult with the US is they don't have like a radio one they don't have like a one no. big station that just everyone goes to no. it's like it's all localized it's mm -hmm. all regional yeah it's all genre specific because yeah. dance music is still relatively so small compared to like 
rap, but also like country and western and mm. stuff out there. But they they don't have that kind of like so Kiss and Radio One obviously in the daytime these days it's like pop music or yeah, crossover commercial yeah, yeah. playlisted. Stuff. Yeah, playlisted stuff. But then at night you get your specialists. Yeah, I don't think they have that same kind of setup out there. It's I don't. Like, I don't think as much. You got Sirius XM obviously, which is kind of not radio to a certain extent. It's like yeah, kind of like streaming Spotify. But I think. <clears throat> I think the yeah the issue is is the size of America. It's like 350 million people. Giant. Like I just don't think you can please that many people on one station. Um whereas the UK although I know we have like I'm just like Radio 1 the demographic is like I think it's 13 13 to like 25 technically. I think that's the like the it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah it's like which the way the bbc works and it'll be interesting to see how you guys work at kiss but i think the way the bbc work is that's why they kind of change their presenters quite regularly because it's actually it's a licensed payer radio so it's like it has to be kind of advertised or has to be for the demographic and i think if we're talking that demographic, which is technically younger than us, but everyone's kind of listening to the same music. And and we go to the clubs and we're all listening to the same music. And it's kind of like, whereas I, th- I think if you look at America, it's so, so vastly different. So yeah. many different, like I, we're very multicultural in the UK, but I think... It's just so we're so similar as well. Yeah. Um, whereas in the U- US, I think it's very much more like I could be massively wrong as well, but it just feels like there's huge pockets of the US where you listen to this and you listen to that and you listen to this and you listen to that and then you don't go yeah. and listen to this and you don't go listen to that. It's kind of strange. But I think also the way the radios are set up, like to be successful on radio in america is very different to being becoming successful as an artist on radio in the uk in europe like you need serious money to get your well, record to, that's to radio. It. it becomes a financial thing yeah. and you know but the behind the scenes of uk radio is is relatively straightforward tracks are added to daytime rotation based on things like shazam's uh, streaming data and like just passion from from the kind of key people at radio stations. There's no you can all you can hire someone called a radio plugger whose job it is to help you get a record on the radio, but ultimately there's no exchange of money for for radio airplay that we know of. That we know of. Wait, uh, wait. That we know of. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, totally. Um, you know, generally speaking, is I've in kind of my experience that's that's very much how it works here. But in the US. It is commercialized. Like there are certain stations yeah. that you can just pay for airplay. Yeah, um, and I think it's still curated at some, to a certain degree by the by the stations. But but you know you're you're kind of yeah you're buying airtime like an ad almost. Pretty much um, you're talk and you're talking like six figures to like yeah. to get your your record to radio like to to high street. We're not talking Sirius XM. We're talking like mainstream yeah. radio. Yeah, and I think. That's the amazing thing with the UK radio culture is that we can have like this obscure dance record that just seems to pop off in the clubs. Everyone shazamming it, and then 
there we have it. We've got a number one in the UK that's a club record or a dance record yeah. that no one really would have knew about, if you know what I mean. And it's happened massively amounts this year. Like you had yeah. a Ewan, I think it was this year, Ewan McVicker, you had Dance LF System. Yeah. Um, Eliza Rose. Eliza Rose. And yeah, TikTok. damn. That's crazy. Yeah. And the Eliza Rose one's an even stranger one to me because it's like 145 BPM. <laughs> if you'd said to me a year ago that record would be UK number one, yeah. no one would have predicted it, I don't think. For like four weeks as well, I think. I think yeah. it was like a long time. It's just yeah. amazing. It's amazing. I guess that's the one thing I want to talk to you about is being at radio is like you see especially now i don't know i could be wrong but especially now it feels like there's more records that do very well very quickly and then you don't really the, the artists don't really grow a career because it's yeah. it's very much their first record that does really really well and then it's like it feels to me and i i, I could be wrong and, and i'd happily be wrong um but i'd like to get your kind of thoughts on that I think for me, I actually think this is, it's a product of streaming primarily. Yeah. Um, I think now we have hit records, we don't have hit artists. Yeah. Um, I think, and TikTok has massively amplified this because, you know, records are made and broken by TikTok now. And it, you, you, can, you can't predict it, but it could totally change the game in terms of attention on, on music. And I think the fact now that you don't have to buy an album you just stream the one track that you like yeah um you you if you like a tra if you like a track by an artist all you all you ever need to do is stream that one track you're yeah. never exposed to oh but what else have they made mm. um and i do think because of everything being online and so accessible um you don't need to have that kind of the ground the machine behind you to get your record out there yeah which means you don't have to have necessarily put in the work the, the years of work the groundwork totally um to kind of get a reputation to get to a point where radio stations will take you seriously mm -hmm. where labels will take you seriously if you if you turn up to a major label now and say i've got 100 million views on tiktok then you know there's a good chance that they'll offer you a fat deal and, and that's your yeah that's it there's a hit record there like yeah and that doesn't breed artists that breeds hit tracks. records yeah yeah, and and it, I think I try and kind of stay clear of, of judgment on that. I think long term, it's probably not healthy for the music industry because mm. whilst anyone can be an artist now, it kind of lowers the 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 threshold of what what the quality of music needs to be, mm. um, and but also you know it opens doors to everyone and it kind of makes that whole marketplace just a bit more free and, and open to people who didn't have access to the same kind of level of, of prep work and, and behind the scenes stuff that you needed originally to, mm. to kind of get that far. I think I totally agree with you. Um, I do judge it a little bit if I'd be, I'd be lying if I didn't, because I think yeah. it's for me more so it's sad to see where <clears throat> the, the major labels are, have, are doing what they've always done and that's kind of take advantage of the artist and make a fuck ton of money out of the artist and then t say goodbye to the artist onto the next onto the next record 
Um, and realistically, like, yes, they're throwing out big deals, but they're not big deals for the majors. Like, if if a major's paying like 150 grand for a record, in a grand scheme of things, 150 grand for a major record label is literally like change. Yeah, they make that in a, in a day from the from Beyonce Beatles catalog. Yeah, that they own. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's like, I think. And 150 grand isn't gonna create an artist career, um, because we we all know like you, you get a bunch of money when you're 21 years old and you're like sick, like this is gonna come every time and then it doesn't. So I, I think it's, I think it's really, I think it's kind of a really it's it's a great time for dance music, but I think it's also a very bad time for growing artist careers you then look at fred again who has changed dance culture and in the last two years to a certain extent but definitely within the last year yeah um it's 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 changed massively and he's opened the world to a completely different like a completely different fan i think um, yeah. And it's really interesting with his background and everything like that. Like with his pop, like of, he he wrote the last two Ed Sheeran records. He's been one of yeah. the biggest pop writers in the world for the last five six years. He's done some huge records. <coughs> I think he's a, he's an example of having that artistry yeah. background and and coming doing doing your time. You know, totally. having done been a, a, an exceptional producer at been the behind the scenes world. Yeah. Kind of worked with the best people around, and that has obviously then skyrocketed his career. Yeah. Um. And but he's now he's he's able to deliver now as a headline artist himself because he's done the uh, he's done the time. He knows what he's doing. He's kind of put the hours in. Well, I um, think this is not gone. not just kind of slate new artists that come along. No, no, not at all. You know, I'm I'm a massive fan of new artists. I'm always looking, you know, to totally. support new artists on radio and at the label and everything. But I I think. You can tell when someone has done their shift. Yeah, um, I think I think for me though, it's also like the confidence in in how he releases music, yeah. and the, the not every record like this is purely opinion, and I wouldn't want to offend somebody, but not every record he puts out is good. But it doesn't matter because yeah. there's another good record to come and and I think that's the amazing the confidence in how they release music as as and it. putting stuff out once a week or yeah. like you know just kind of at weird times and just with no warning like oh here's another one like, yeah. oh, here's another one yeah like yeah. And, and that doesn't fit and I think that's been really interesting to watch as a bit of a case study of kind of the the music industry because we generally work quite cyclically on kind of release cycles and we'd work yeah. this release for six weeks or eight weeks or whatever then yeah. we'll do another one and then we'll kind of do it quite systematically but he's come along and kind of just thrown that out of the window a little yeah. bit and i think that's that's been really interesting to watch yeah i think it would be really interesting to see somebody do that on an independent level yeah and see how that would be different because obviously they've got warner behind them so like having a big major label really massively helps but then I guess, like, you look at the streams and, and the streams do really well, but for a major, like, the streams aren't doing, aren't massive, if you know yeah. what I mean, for a, 
a major release. Like for anybody listening, like if a if a record's signed to a major and it hasn't done like sixty million streams, it's not doing well. If you know what I mean. Obviously, on an independent level, if even if you get to a million streams, you're fucking laughing. Um, but like. Yeah, the major is, is Beyonce levels. So yeah, exactly. that's the kind of thing they're looking for. How how do you let's let's put A and R hat on? I guess we've been talking A and R and radio realistically, but how do you manage or monitor the success of a record as an A and R or a record and an artist? Okay, this is a difficult one. <laughs> um, there's lots of different ways, and I think. You know, so I'm an A and R at Armada, which is an independent label, but it's a, it's a big independent label. Yeah. So ultimately, we have a different goal uh, for a record than what, say, like a small bedroom label or like a, an artist yeah. label has from a record. In that, we're still very much in the business of releasing music, as opposed to in the passion of releasing music. You know, we have staff yeah. and offices that, that and bills that kind of need to, to be paid out of that. So, whilst we're definitely very different to a major, we're also different to your label, for example. Yeah, you're you know, like a major indie. Yeah. Um, really? So there's there's different ways that we kind of look for for success. I think, you know, you can have a different type of a hit record. You can have a radio hit. Yeah. You can have a streaming hit. You know, some of the biggest records on streaming have never been played on the radio. Yeah, it's mad. Um, it's just mad. crazy. And I think that's, that's for me, is both uh, interesting and some can sometimes be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. When the difference between now the streaming world and the radio world is 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 huge. Yeah. And that in the past has kind of made hits. If you hear it on the radio, and then you you buy it in the shop or you see it on the storefront or it's mm-hmm. number one in various charts to do with buying or sales or, or streaming, then then the, that combines to create a lot of awareness around a record totally. and you get a hit record. Yeah. These days, so often you get one or the other, mm-hmm. or they they come at different times. Yeah. So you might start on streaming and then you get radio, but then by that point, streaming's bored of it. Yeah. Or you might start on yeah. So I think these days, I think it's kind of important to look at them as different sources of success. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you're talking purely financially, obviously the vast majority of revenue comes from streaming these days. Mm. But for a record you, label, for a record label, yeah. Yeah. If you look at it from uh, a radio point of view, if you have a radio hit, your next records will do better on streaming as well because yeah. the artist has more awareness around and they have more fans. Yeah. So I kind of like to view it as, okay, maybe this record didn't stream loads, but it got loads of key at radio airplay. People yeah. are now more aware of this artist. This artist is now a higher profile act. Let's like let's look forward to the next releases. Mm. Um but definitely it's 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 interesting kind of difference between the two so do you sign artists for obviously it's different but like what is your what is your ideal situation when you're taking on an artist is it i want to sign this one record and kind of hope that it's a hit or do you sign okay let's sign five records and take it from there so it it all depends on on the artist and what they're looking for i think um in my ideal world, I'd sign three to five records from an artist, yeah. and then we can do a journey together, and we can build the campaigns into each other. Yeah, we can kind of work on it as a, a whole project because when you do it like that, the chances of you signing one record and it being a hit are so slim because the 
the the the amount of variables, the the different the kind of ways that records break and become successful mm. these days are so broad that A and R is is a lot of it now is is down to luck, yeah, and it's down to external factors that we just cannot um, you know control. So I would rather say let's sign five records we think this one might be the hit yeah but it could be this one or it could be this one and we're going to work on all of them and we're going to see over the space of eight months ten months whatever which one of them connects and and i think the way music works now is that if a record's doing well there's a lot of things you can do to amplify that yeah but you can't make a record do well Mm -hmm. so it that a record kind of getting traction off the start comes things comes from things like radio yeah does it get a hottest record in the world does it get a track id that is a good launch pad to then kind of get some kind of further results and then you can kind of build it and build it but if you take a record that you think is amazing but it doesn't really get much radio doesn't get any streaming playlists you're in a very difficult position yeah and there comes a point when you're like okay well maybe we should sort of cut our losses a little bit on this one and work on the next record yeah because if you don't get some kind of orga- organic um, growth and support on launch, or within a relatively, you know, small time to time frame of release, yeah, then there's not a lot you can do for a full campaign. And and sometimes now these days with streaming, a record might pick up three years after release, mm-hmm. but by that point the artist has moved on. Yeah. They've released two albums since then. They're yeah. not interested in working on this record they did three years ago. Their sounds probably changed. Yeah, so. That again, that kind of creates some some really weird situations where, <coughs> yeah, yeah, it's you you hit the nail on the head when you said having a a big record is mostly luck, and I think it was it always has been to a certain extent, but I think you could if your record was very good, it would always shine through, yeah. whereas now it it. It's for me personally. It's not based on how good your record is. It's to a certain extent, um, and I think it just goes to show. Like I remember when I first was started to go to Ibiza, it was always there's be a record of the summer, yeah. And those records were like every every DJ played them, and it yeah. it wasn't a case of like people not wanting to play them. It was a case of everyone had you had to play that record and yeah. you'd hear that record four or five times in a night it's the the industry's changed so much in that sense and i'm i'm not being a debbie downer and saying it's wrong it's just changed and that's absolutely fine um but i think the amount of big records at one time is crazy now because you can have like yeah. 10 big records that are all doing really well at the same time yeah um you just don't have that one record. I think the last one record was probably Camel Fat, uh, Cola. Yeah, that was... Because uh, that lasted a, a season, a yeah. whole season. Even kind of after that, records didn't... didn't last, they lasted half a season. The year with um, Joys and um, Switch. You know, they were kind of... The third which, Switch. which record was that? Uh, the Defected it. one. Oh, the, Rob, the, the thingy Sirach... Yes, Roberto Sorrentino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of yeah. occupied the second half of that season. Before that, it was Janssen's and Switch, yeah, yeah. which was the kind of first half of that season. I don't, I can't remember what years. It's probably three, four years ago yeah, now. Yeah. Four years ago, I reckon. I guess losing um, it, Fish, was pretty big. 
that was that was big as well. But I I still don't think it like globally had the scale of what Camel Fats Cola had. Yeah, I think that was losing it was always a club record, right? Yeah. It, was a, it was a DJ record. Yeah, Camel Fat Cola worked as a pop record. Yeah, it just worked as a kind of easy listening track as well, which yeah. which you know very few records do. Although arguably quite a few of the Camel Fat ones do. They're really good at making records That's that great, work yeah. amazingly in a club, yeah. but also sound great on radio. Yeah. And it is, it's different. Generally speaking, it's a totally different record. Mm. Um, and very few records actually do tick both those boxes. Yeah, it's really hard. I guess the last one that I can remember is that's done both boxes is the LF System record this year. Yeah. Um, afraid to feel, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. But realistically, it's... It's a disco record, yeah. Which is, I get why your fucking mum wants to listen to it because it was like of their time, right? They were listening to yeah. that music when they grew up, growing up. So yeah, it makes complete sense why, why that. <clears throat> um, let's go on to samples. Cool. Because I think it's like a nice segue, especially now. Samples has always been huge in house music. The whole point of house yeah. music is sampling. All right. Let's go a bit more controversial. People have got really bad. This is my opinion. People have got really lazy with sampling in the last. So lazy. In the last, like, since COVID. Since, so lazy. Since COVID. And it's it's very much based on, for me, it feels like, what what do I have to do to make a big record? And it's, okay, let's get a fucking Kylie Minogue single and put a, I mean, put a that's beat on a big it. part of it, isn't it? Yeah. Look at what was the Do It To It record. Yeah. Um, but I think, the, <clears throat> I think the difference with the Acraze record, it was done very well. Yeah. It was done really tastefully. And a lot of people didn't necessarily know the original sample. Yeah. I think the thing that I struggle with the most is when it's like a straight up massive record sample. Yeah. And then it kind of blows up. Like, I've done it as bootlegs, if you know what I mean. I do bootlegs. I do things like that, which is great. But for me, that was just like, it was always just a tool. Um, What, how, how do you kind of A&R things like that? Because you're clearly getting them and you're clearly releasing them, right? Because they do well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get the right sample record, particularly in-house tech house. You know, that's, that's really the genre where, sampling like kind of vocal sampling is is prevalent um well firstly it's a pain in the ass for a label perspective <laughs> massively um, because when you work for when, you, when you're at a bigger label like armado you know we have to do everything by the book which means we we have to get legal clearance to use a sample or pub use the publishing of the sample so we have yeah. to get the sample replayed which is where you get someone to re-sing the vocal that are sounding as close to the original as they can make it yeah it not being the original recording yeah um and so it, it's it's a pain to, to work with samples yeah. from, a, from a label perspective i as a rule try to always favor original music over mm. samples just from personal preference um when i'm signing releases i think i i sign a lot of kind of more melodic stuff and 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 you know slightly more euphoric stuff that generally relies a little less on on samples yeah but Sometimes you just hear a record and you think that sample has been really well used yeah, and yeah. I know what sample it is yeah. and I know where it's from and I know it's going to be a nightmare to clear. To clear. Um, but 
it's just it's just the the game and it's an interesting it's an interesting market because it ultimately kills a lot of records so yeah. i i i'm sure you won't mind me uh talk mentioning him i had tried to sign a, a richie blacker record which yeah. had a massive sample in. i'm not going to say which one but it was really tastefully done it was beautifully put together you would never have guessed that it could work yeah but it just worked really well and tried to get it cleared tried to get it um approved by the original you know rights holder and they just weren't having any of it yeah just didn't like it and we tried and we tried again and we tried again and they were just like nah don't like it don't like the way you've done it and <laughs> just not going to clear it so i've got on my hard drive this incredible record that will never see the light yeah. of day because because it's a sample mm. um but then i guess you get to the question of like sometimes tracks need familiar samples to kind of give them a new life and that's what makes the track and yeah yeah i i'm i'm all for sampling i fucking yeah. sampled depeche mode well i remixed depeche mode like i i'm a, like my biggest hallelujah my biggest record is a sample yeah um i think for me and like i'm i just think it just needs to be done tastefully and i i do think like sample something if you're gonna sample a hit record do it in a way where it's not super bait. Don't use the main hook. Exactly. Use another part. Yeah. Use another part. Yeah. Like that that it can be something as simple as that 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 kind of takes it away from being just another bootleg. Like yeah. because there are so many bootlegs. And yeah. like especially from a radio point of view, every time something goes big, Squid Game was the last one yeah. where I just got sent I probably had fifty bootlegs sent to me. <laughs> Of, of squid gate and i was just like come on like it's lazy it's i get it it's you want to do something current because it's quick and easy and you can make a track in a day and yeah. put it online and people will hear it yeah like so i understand that that's the driver of this it's not that well it's that quick is that quick success and i think this is the thing yeah. is that it's going back to it's like okay what do we need to do to then get to a bigger audience and then yeah. which means that we get to a bigger audience which means that we're going to sell more tickets which means realistically we make more money yeah and i think and then is that going to last so we'll have to do that more regularly and and things like that and i think you don't see chemical brothers do that <laughs> no <laughs> yeah, but you, and you don't see a lot of i've kind of you know a lot of the ultra successful more credible i hate to say that word because it sounds you know a bit kind of dicky but yeah wanky yeah like but the, you don't see camel fat bootlegging tiktok stuff like no. i don't know we, you know we mentioned them earlier on like um but i think is an interesting point is you you mentioned the live shows and the tickets and even still now what i think particularly the last year or so i've really noticed is that tickets and streaming aren't connected anymore not one bit not one bit and like in the same way, radio and streaming are not connected. Tickets and streaming are not connected. Yeah. And you have artists who have a massive live following, um, but they don't really have hits. Yeah. Like, and equally, you can have you have these these breakout artists that have these breakout hits, and it's a it's a hit yeah. record rather than a hit artist. And they might get gigs for a year. They might tour off the back of a record yeah. for a year. And and you know, good luck to them. And they. they they do you know obviously it's a big part of what they want from from that thing totally it doesn't mean you necessarily have fans it doesn't mean that you're going to have a long kind of a long bookings career yeah off the back of one record and you can kind of point to a couple of um 
like animalities in that. Like so, mm-hmm. Ben Hemsley, for example, I think is is got one of the strongest touring followings at the moment of a kind of newish artist. Bear in mind that he's only kind of been around for not that long. Yeah, he sells out massive shows, and he's had he's had some big records. But if you compare that to the average artist right yeah, now, yeah. yeah, they don't have that kind of core data. Uh, yeah, like fan base. So how do you think you should? How how do you turn into a ticket seller? I wish I knew, otherwise I'd be doing it myself. Um, <laughs> I think, honestly, what I've seen through people like Ben Hemsley, Hannah Lang's another great example, is up north, local following is a big thing. Yeah, it's, it's not think, a thing down south. No, maybe Bristol, maybe. No, but no. like, no, okay, fine, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not. Unless, think, unless you're like, realistically, like, I think out of Bristol and I obviously I'm from around that area, but like the mm. last person to have that cult following was, was that eats everything. Yeah. But like, yeah. it is nothing like it is up North. It's nothing like it is in Scotland. It's nothing yeah. like it is in Ireland. Like yeah, they just, totally. they just love their own, their people. They want their own people to be successful, which yeah. I think in, in certainly in London, you see someone near you being successful and that, and it's like, Oh, right. Well, Fuck off. I'm, I'm not going to go to that show. <laughs> yeah, it's like... It tall, just feels like that's the approach. It's tall poppy syndrome, right? It's yeah. It's like you don't... It's really weird, but it's like people don't want people to be more successful than them, where it's like... Yeah, it's people fucking... people like your success up to a certain point, and then it's... Then and it's it, okay, not, well, hold on a minute. We don't want them to be too successful. Yeah, and it's really weird to me that. It's really yeah, weird. Sure. Like, But I think, yeah, you're right. In... in and I... I think for me, for example, it's like, it's why America's always been so good for me. It's yeah. like, they want people to be successful. They support people. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's not about who you know. It's not about the people around you. It's just about, you just do good shit and people, if you do good shit, people will follow you. Yeah. It's really, but yeah, I think you're right. It's like Hannah, like, she's fucking killing and it's so nice to see yeah and it's like there's even like look at amara if you know what i mean with like what she's doing and yeah it's like realistically you don't have to you don't even have to release music like she's just she's released her first release was a remix of me her second release was a release on trick and then her third release was a record with me recently yeah and like she's touring more than most people in the UK. Yeah. It's amazing. That's it's it. If you get and I think if you can kind of come out of your, your local promoter scene, yeah. you know, that can be a big part of it. Like for me, I, I went I went to Union Nottingham, I was DJing loads up there. Yeah. I, I stayed on an extra year and just kind of just played gigs and stuff up there for a bit. Yeah. And I knew all the promoters. I worked with all of them. I kind of was always working. Moved down to London, didn't know any of the promoters. And even to this day, like, you know, I'm now 10 years on or eight years on in London. I still don't really know the London promoter landscape Mm. that well. And I still play less hometown gigs in London than I ever played when I was in Nottingham. And I think that's maybe... uh, London's maybe kind of not your your typical example because it's just so big and it's such a different market. But, like... If you can build like a kind of core audience in your in your hometown, for me that is that's the closest thing you can get to to fans yeah. at an early stage. If you can get regular bookings, 
places because you will you will kind of get that that support and then yeah. you'll get bookings in the town next door or the city kind of down the road and, yeah. and you can spread it from there and i think but that's definitely more of a thing up north it Way definitely more. is i think also it's like the crew you have around you <clears throat> it's like i uh, like no disrespect to, to but me growing up like i was never like the cool kid and i yeah. was never like my mates were never the cool kids, if you know what I mean. Like, we didn't have... Like, we, I grew up in the fucking middle of nowhere. Like, it was like... Fu- it was literally like, you can't get to school in time because they're moving the cows. So it's like, <laughs> you, it's... I see a lot of the people that have, like... That have success in, in certain regions is they have, like, this core crew of people that are just, like, yeah. so into what they do. And, like, they're all their best mates. And then yeah. what happens is like they want everyone to do, be successful, so everyone will promote everything for you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so important having a crew, and it's like having core Definitely. core fans. And I think this is what we're this is what I think the industry is going to turn into. I hope the industry turns into in the next five to ten years, where it goes very like a lot more personable. Yeah, but you're not worried about hundreds and th- hundreds and thousands of followers. You're worried about five thousand followers that all will come to a gig. will come to a gig and all will share e- every single record and will buy <coughs> every single bit of merch. Like, imagine imagine you had five hundred followers that bought every single bit of merch. Yeah, you put and, a, and streamed every record and, on on repeat. Yeah, and it's worth a hell of a lot more than 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 kind of. Uh, someone who listens once because they saw it on exactly online. exactly yeah. i think it's i <clears throat> it's the way that i'm moving trying to move things with my team is like it's not about pure numbers on a on a gl- global scale it's like okay how can we how can we sell 500 tickets in each market and what do we need to do to sell that and then and then you grow from there and then it's like okay let's sell a thousand tickets let's sell two thousand tickets and you just grow that but realistically you have to have a core a core fan base like really interesting do you know option four no so he's a producer dj promoter from he lives in denver and he is the reason why Denver has like such an insane music scene. Like there's literally like five days a week, there's dance, there's shows five days a week. And you're like, how in like Denver in fucking Colorado in Denver. And you're like, this is ridiculous. And the way he started it was he moved to Denver and was like, okay, I'm going to start throwing nights. What do I need to do? And he like built a thing called the hundred presents and he printed out, he got like a hundred, necklace like chains made and like everybody that came to the show on a regular basis they a hundred of them got put into like the club and that then created like a bit of exclusivity but also like each one of those people probably brought 10 people to a show yeah and then those 10 people probably brought two people to a show and it just kind of snowballs and i think i think that's where we used to be with scenes in like i remember growing up around bristol and like going to clubs and like it wasn't about the headliner it was about the night like i know i'm going to timbuktu on a saturday night because it's the first saturday of the month and i know (laughs) it's going to be a banger and i know it's going to be packed um 
and I think as headline culture kind of came in a, a lot more and festivals kind of took over and DJ fees went up, it was way, it's now way more about like, you have to sell a shit ton of tickets and the promoter is not really a promoter anymore. It's more so a promoter is just booking the eyes and they do a huge amount of promotion in some cases, but also it's like, who can we book that's going to sell them? Guaranteed to sell tickets. Yeah. And it will make yeah. sure that our socials look banging. We we sell out so we can boast about it selling out and then yeah. it creates a demand for next time. How yeah, for sure. <sighs> When you're kind of working as a record label A&R, do you look at an artist's fan base? Do you look at growing that? Do you help? Do you do you look at working to grow that? Like, how does that work in artist development? Because obviously if you're signing just a single, no, it doesn't fucking matter. You just sign a single. But if yeah. you're signing an artist for like five to eight records, that's over a year, that's over two years. And then you generally always have an option after that. So that, that might be mean that you're probably signing 10 records in the grand scheme of things yeah i think it, it, you're absolutely right one record is just not kind of it's not it's that not significant for a yeah. release obviously it's nice to have them to for the artist to already have that following but when you're trying to develop an artist it comes back to what we said about the kind of the, uh, the smaller number of core fans the, yeah the people that will buy a ticket for your show is less numerically than the people that will stream a song yeah but if you are a key fan of an artist you will stream that song 10 times 20 yeah. times you'll save it you'll you never skip it yeah these are all important metrics for for a record label so when we're working longer term on an artist it's really important that that we can kind of do whatever we can to yeah. to, to support that uh, their kind of live thing because it's just a huge part of, mm. of a cohesive artist and you know we talked about how less and less gigs streaming radio yeah. will come hand in hand but the dream is still to have all of those three things. Yeah. Like if you can be an artist that has gigs, streaming, radio, you are you're ticking all the boxes and you and you're you're more valuable to everyone who works with you. Yeah. Um in a kind of, you know, because it's just it's just a, it's exposure for your music that you're making. Exposure for the new releases, it's yeah. exposure to new fans always as well because mm. any gig you play, there'll be fans that are not there to see you yeah. most of the time. So you can play your music to someone who's never heard of you before or might not know you before. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're supporting a headliner, for example, but they might see your set and be like, oh, that was the best, best set of the night. Yeah. Then, they're, then they're a fan on the music as well. Um, and equally, like, radio. Radio wants to know what else is going on for an artist. Totally. They don't just want to see streaming data. They want to see, oh, is he playing any festivals? Yeah. Is she playing, you know, this gig here and there? Like... So it all kind of feeds in, and definitely we, we want it to be a cohesive thing. That said, it is difficult from a label's perspective mm. to engineer bookings, um, and very few labels actually have that power. Now, you, you've got kind of obvious ones like Defected and Anjuna. Yeah. have got, like, this amazing infrastructure where they have the record label, and it's kind of supported by just events around the world. Yeah. And their artists can play the events. They can premiere their new music there. Mm -hmm. Armada Armin Van, Armin Van Buren has it with a state of trance. Yeah. It's a it's a little ecosystem where you can just launch, grow, and yeah. kind of capitalize on, on on music and artists from from every angle. Yeah. Generally speaking, though, record labels don't don't have that full kind of package of mm. of of infrastructure and. 
it's I think especially when artists come to Armada because we're we're a bigger label that I always go all right what can you do for gigs yeah and it's difficult because the short answer is not a lot yeah (laughs) (laughs) like you know we can give you opportunities when when they come and we and sometimes we do showcases and we do events but but on a smaller scale than a lot of other labels so it's 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 what we can do is we can help you make your music as successful as possible so that you get more bookings. Yeah, yeah. Does that always translate? No. Does it sometimes translate? Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. um, we work with a lot of artists who we, you know, we have a big record with them and then we see there's always a little bit of a delay, but two, mm-hmm. three months later, the bookings start to come in now because people are aware of the record. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, a good example of that is, is Shaq. Yeah. Who's just had that massive um, trick one moving all around. You know, as far as I'm aware, he wasn't a big kind of touring artist playing out no. in a whole lot of places before that track. It's come out now, and I'm seeing him on every lineup. Yeah. You know, and and it can definitely translate, but it's not. But again, Trick is a is a label that has an event branch, but he's not just playing Trick events. But it it is a difficult one. It's difficult for labels to have a kind of huge impact on on bookings for sure. Well, I think it's also is like it's a really interesting side of the business because. Why is Siri coming up? <laughs> um, I, like financially, an event makes way more sense as, for a label, right? To kind of throw events if they're successful. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. And I know some of the big labels that run events are actually funded by the event branch. 100%. Recorded music is hard to make money from these yeah. days. Events, if you do it right and you have a core fan base, you can make a hell of a lot of money mm. in. Um, at Armada, my boss, Michael, he's always said, we're a music company, we're not an yeah. event company. Yeah. So there's very rarely ever been um, Armada events. That's just the way he wants to run the company. Yeah. And it's, a, it's a totally valid you know, approach to it for sure. Like It's just different and different businesses work in different ways. But... You know, you can come to see some of these big labels as actually these days more event companies. 100%. Yeah. I think also it's like you have to brand your company very differently if you want to be an event. Yeah. It's it's not about the music. It's about what can the music do to sell tickets. Yeah. And... The two that I mentioned before, Defected and Anjuna, are great examples of labels that can sell a lineup, sell an event without announcing a lineup. Yeah, because you go if you if you want to go to a Defected event, you want to go for house music. House yeah. is a feeling. House is yeah, a spiritual yeah. thing. Like, <laughs> like that's that's what you want to hear. And, and yeah. like you're going to hear the same records played by different DJs. Yeah, kind of to a certain extent, not not kind of not all the time. But. No, but yeah, totally. It's you get you know what you're going to get. It was the same with Dirty Bird when I yeah. was signed to Dirty Bird. It was like the Dirty Bird events. You know exactly what you're going to get, and you know yeah. what artists you're going to get on there, and you know what music you're going to get. That's what people go for. I think it's just a really interesting way to like how labels grow. It's more so the label is the brand rather than the artist. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, and I think that's that's um, that's a big part of of those events is, mm. and there's a there's um, there can be a conflict of interest there because Massive. the label wants to be the brand, whereas you know if you're an artist who wants to be a headliner selling out Wembley, you can't sit on a label lineup forever. You nope. need to sell your own shows. Yep. 
um, and there can be a conflict of interest there. Yeah, um, 100%. I think that's what happens a lot. And that's why I really respect what Jamie Jones has done with Paradise, is where he kind of stopped. He didn't take it the hot creations route, and it was like Paradise is a night, and Paradise yeah. is separate to hot creations, although it yeah. has the link to it. But I think it's. I think it was a fucking clever way to like yeah. not lock in like if you're signed to hot creations you're not necessarily playing paradise yeah and if you're signed to if you're playing paradise you're not necessarily signed to hot creations yeah and and i think it's kind of it takes out the politics yeah of of the label like <clears throat> we all know like those label nights don't pay the artists as well it's just it's everyone knows that because they don't need to, if yeah. you know what I mean. They can put anybody on and it doesn't matter because they've sold the tickets already. Yeah. Um, which then creates a really interesting relationship between the artist and the label. And then if the label's owned by a big DJ, that's when it gets even more. Yeah. Even more. I've seen it with, with Dynamics where, like, there's artists that are way bigger than the the head of the label, but the head of the label still puts them headline in the shows. And you're just like, what is this? Is this, is this an ego contest or is this? Yeah, there's so much politics, yeah. so much politics in all of it. And, and to a certain extent, it, I do quite enjoy the fact that, you know, in my work life of Armada, we're kind of not involved in that. Yeah. Um, it does make, make it a little easier on that front just to talk, hey, let, let's sign your music because I believe in the record. Yeah. Don't come to me because you want gigs because I can't get that for you. I can yeah. try and help, but I can't promise you it. Come to me because you've got a wicked record or five wicked records and, and we want to work them and and there's you know, we wanna grow you your kind of releasing career and yeah. that will in turn help with, with the gigs and stuff. But for sure, it's a minefield out there. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting it's an interesting time. Um I wanna talk twenty twenty three a little bit. I know we're in Jan. Well, we're not in January, but this is coming out in January. But I want to like, what's your approach on how do you plan a year's worth of releases? Because you, I, from what I gather, like, how many releases are you releasing a year, and how many, like, how far in advance, and how do you work that in advance when it's like, oh shit, like we need to, we need. 24 records and like you can't just sign them willy-nilly you have to see records and you have to live with them and you have to believe in them and things like that so yeah uh in terms of the label when when we're signing records i i know now the the kind of four artists of my roster that have all got multiple singles that we'll be releasing over the next six months and i've they're all kind of loosely penciled into to a schedule. Yeah. Everything is subject to change. Yeah. The order might change. The records might change. You know, if a track blows up, then we'll push everything back. Mm. But we all have, all the A&Rs have got kind of a loose idea of what's coming. Yeah. Um, but there are gaps. There has to be gaps in the schedule because sometimes stuff comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And the, you know, the fact is, as we talked about earlier, you can produce a record in a day and it could be a hit yeah you know you and vicar may tell me something good in an hour yeah like and then if if we just said all right well this is us done for six months like and you didn't kind of be reactive to stuff yeah you know you it just wouldn't wouldn't work so i like to have an idea of of what artists we're gonna Mm. i'm gonna be working on and what we're gonna be working on um 
but you know it has to be flexible yeah and and that's the, the nice thing about being an independent label is we can be flexible yeah, yeah we can just move stuff yeah like we can just move it to make it fit and we can do it easily yeah yeah um and that you know that is it is a blessing um and we can do it to suit the artists that we work with like obviously you know it still takes time we still have so we we plan our releases six weeks ahead of release yeah so so we schedule our releases we lock lock it in six weeks ahead of release mm -hmm. and then it goes through various stages it gets pitched to all the dsps we get yeah. all the marketing kind of stuff done all the assets made and that happens over over the course of six weeks but the the quickest from signing the contract to getting a record out is six weeks mm. um because that's it takes that time to set a record up properly. yeah um the difference or the only kind of time where that's different is and this applies much less to to like armada but to a major is when they're upstreaming records yeah when they're just picking up um a, a record is already doing well on another label and a major comes in and basically buys the rights to it and yeah and that that can just happen pretty quickly and, mm -hmm. and be on, online overnight but when you're setting up a record from start you know in an ideal world we'll have a record out on dj promo if it's a club record we'll have it out three months in advance yeah especially if it's over summer yeah i'd i'd much rather have a record being played in clubs across ibiza across mm -hmm. festivals yeah for three four five months and then getting released totally um you know the, the great example of that was matt guy and mm. set my mind free yeah, like yeah. that was played everywhere across ibiza every festival yeah every club all summer long um and then when it finally got released, you know, it it was set up amazingly and, and everyone had heard it somewhere. Yeah. Like, and that was a great position to be in with that record. And, and you know, I'm talking club music here specifically, but it takes time to to get a record. So we like to, talking 2023, it's nice to have an idea of what's going to happen. Yeah. And I've got, I already know kind of the records that I think we want to get out early on club promo and mm. stuff. Um but he also have to be a bit flexible. Yeah. Who have we got coming up record wise? Are we not allowed to talk about that? I'm sure we can talk about it. Uh, <laughs> I've got I've got a load of singles with Tommy Farrow. Oh cool. Is, is... Tommy's like my homie. Mate, he's wicked. He's such a talented guy. Yeah. I think um, you know, big things to come from him. And yeah, he's got some It's very much your tip as well on the like the like more prog proggy kind yeah. of melodic vibe. Yeah, so really excited about about him for the next few months. Oh, that, uh, that makes me happy. I'm happy about that. Richie Blacker got four singles coming with him, and they're all really cool. Totally kind of bit weird and wonky, weird and wonderful. Very I'm, different I've, to. I've, a, I've to not a, heard. I've not heard of him before. Okay, he's an Irish producer. I'll cool. send. I'll send you some stuff. Yeah, really, really good producer. Um, Archie. Yeah. Um, he's obviously he's worked with like uh, Christoph and stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a real talent, and I've got a couple of amazing singles from him. Amazing. Um, I'm trying to think if I've forgotten anyone now. Oh, Ben Hemsley. More with Ben. Oh, I see. Um, do you guys do a lot so, with Ben? We did the last single. We've got another one coming. Yeah. Um, and you know, you know, he's obviously moving into this nostalgic trance, Balearic sound, and yeah. an Armada being kind of Armada, the trance label yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. is. You know, we've got a lot of of, of catalog stuff and, and alignment with with him, and and a lot of infrastructure to work that trance stuff. Yeah, um, Because you know, most UK labels and Juno being kind of the exception aren't set up to work trance releases no. um because it's not a major genre here in the uk anymore mm. but that could that feels like it could be changing it certainly feels like it's inf infiltrating all us all, all the different genres they're all getting those 
It's tr- mate. Let's be honest. Everything's just trance, but it's like just packaged <laughs> differently. Like I, everything is trance. Yeah, and it's like all the big records. Like look at fucking Tale of Us. It's trance. It's but, trance, but slow down. Like come on, it's Funeral House. It's like <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like it's just the differences. And who's the American guy at Amada? I forgot his name. Uh. Uh, gay guy Tanner Tanner I was with him the other day and we were talking about trance and like he was like it's really hard for trance to be popular again yeah and I was like it's not it just needs to be packaged correctly definitely and and the branding needs to be correct and it's like there's a lot of old trance guys that aren't doing as well as they were back in the day and my view on it is purely it's because they have they don't have people around them that are telling them that they have to stop doing what they were doing and marketing the same way as what they used to go do something cool like go do a collab with fucking tale of us go do a collab with somebody cool and re completely rebrand yourself look at look at how camel fat's done it if you know what i mean yeah. look at how camel fat's <laughs> gone from cola to like playing with tale of us afterlife. Yeah. and afterlife and like it's all trance it's just yeah. packaged and branded so differently they just need everyone everyone that wants to be cool in that world that still is saying they are trance they just need to go and brand themselves in the right way go go hire they've all got money go brand go pay a branding team to fucking do a good job for sure it's it's such a thing when i joined armada this is four years ago this so this is kind of yeah, the afterlife stuff was very much there, but it was nowhere near the size yeah. that it that it is now. When I joined Armada, we had all these conversations about trance being this dirty word, and yeah. like it's kind of we need to hide from trance and and kind of push other angles. But it, in between now and then, that's changed massively, yeah. and kind of people have started to just admit that melodic techno is just trance, and like it's it's there's some changed elements, but house has changed in the last twenty years, yeah. like. Um, and then, interestingly, I thought when when Ben Hemsley kind of came along and said, "I'm making trance now," yeah, he was the first house and techno guy to kind of publicly acknowledge and claim the the word trance, mm. because before that, it still had, particularly in house and techno, you had the melodic techno guys maybe acknowledging it was a little bit trance, but the house and techno guys were still our oh, trance is old, it's lame, it's not nothing. Yeah, now all the genres are fusing together. Those influences, nostalgia is becoming a genre in itself, like kind of ravey stabs, synths, trancey mm. synths. Like those are things that are just kind of creeping into mainstream yeah. dance music now on every level, on every genre. Like, so it's, it's definitely yeah, trance thing, is back for sure. Trance, just, is, trance is back is just not cool trance. Exactly. Which, it's just like <laughs> people's egos just, they're just not willing to go there yet. It will change. Like, yeah. and then trance will become a dirty word again in 10 years' time. Like, it's just how fashion is. Tech house is the EDM of EDM. Yeah, tech house is, is a dirty word these days. Yeah, exactly. And it's like the tech house that's tech house now isn't even tech house. If you, list, if you listen to like tech house back in the day, that was techno and house. Like, it was yeah. that. Where this isn't, it's, this is just formulaic music now, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know what's going to happen. And I, I think you're right. Like, genres are kind of all coming together because headliners are all coming together everyone's yeah. so close to each other now it's like when you have black coffee doing a record with david guetta you yeah. have 
the Kanyan music crew writing records for Drake. You have Gordo yeah. writing an album for Drake. You have Beyonce getting produced by Green Velvet. Like it's all just like one, which is fucking amazing. It is super it's exciting. Really good. It's a really interesting time. Like, don't get me wrong. You get some really shit records that come through that do of really course. well, and you're like, "How the fuck did that happen?" But still, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's it's interesting, and I think that's the thing is like it goes back to how it was, where it's like people just throwing shit at the wall and just seeing what sticks. Yeah, but I think also you know, a um, technology, but equally, I, I also think that COVID kind of made people just say, "Well, let's just try this and see what happens." Yeah. And I think this was already happening before COVID, so COVID is not kind of the cause of this stuff. But having a little bit of time off touring yeah. definitely made artists go, well, it doesn't really matter if that's not what I usually make. Let me just try it and see, because yeah. I've got time. I th- and Yeah, I don't disagree, but I, I think also what's happened is out of COVID, you have this new wave of artists. Yeah, that, definitely. That they don't have the the rules that, we were kind of set set in that we had to do this or we had to do that and we didn't have to but like for realistically as the music business for us to get shows for us to do that for us to do that we had to do a certain thing and we had to be kind of you're in your lane where like now it's like those lanes are blurred and also the way streaming the way tiktok changed tiktok changed the industry over covid realistically no one used tiktok before covid in the grand scheme of things. Nah. Um, no one used Twitch in our industry during COVID. No one streamed live during COVID, like before COVID, really. It was always like Circle, it was Boiler Room or something like that. It was never it was never how it was done during COVID. So I think like there's just a lot. I think what you've got now is you've got younger people in the scene that haven't been making music for as long, that aren't necessarily worried about making stuff that you should make and they're just chucking shit at the wall and seeing what works and it and some of it works and and i think i think also kind of over that period of covid the uh, the notion of self-releasing became bigger and bigger than it's ever been before like the traditional route that you know i'm sure you were kind of always not told but like you just kind of uh, absorb on the way was you make records that kind of sound like they fit on specific labels so that you can tick off that label and you can build your career and nowadays you don't need to make records for labels you make records for whatever you want you make what you feel you make how it sounds and i think true a lot of people would would counter what i just said and say no no you should never make records to label to sound what labels want and i understand that that's true artistry is yeah is you know kind of creating something unique and different but in, in electronic music, you know, people made records for labels. Yep. Oh, I want to get undefected. Oh, yep. I want to get on Tool Room. Like, I'm going to make a Tool Room record. Like, and I do feel like there's less of that now. 100%. Um, which I'm happy for. Yeah. Because it allows it allows people to be true artists to themselves. Yeah. Um, and it, it stops the whole... The, every, it doesn't stop every record sounding the same, but it stops part of that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think it's what's really interesting, you, you, you mentioned a kind of new wave of artists. And I think this also feeds a little bit into what we said about being the full package of an artist. And yeah. certainly COVID, the two years, two and a half years out of touring and stuff, changed the artist market totally. Yeah. Like the, the artists that we release on Armada now, are it's almost like a full clean sweep mm-hmm. from the, yeah. the roster that we had pre-COVID. And the, the hype names, you know, 
even that sounds a bit cringy to say it, but like the hype names that are getting support on radio and getting support on Spotify yeah. are totally different to what they were before. Mm. What hasn't changed though is is the touring. Yeah. So that feeds into this difference between touring and streaming and radio because touring takes a long time to build up a touring audience. Mm-hmm. Like it does. It really yeah. does. And you can only do that by playing show after show, playing festival after yeah. festival. And, you know, it take it's not easy. Mm. You can learn to produce in a year, yeah. make a hit record now. Especially nowadays. And, like it's so yeah. the tools that you have are so easy to make. So records. easy. Yeah. And and that's changed it. What what was really interesting and quite eye opening for me is I, I ran an event at Egg, um, right when clubs reopened. Yeah. I booked two guys, hype names, um, who are wicked producers, wicked artists that kind of had emerged in in COVID times. And I was like, right, these guys are wicked. I want to have them on the lineup with me. Yeah. And I found out on the night of the event, both of it, both of them, it was their second ever gig. Yeah. And I just, it blew my mind because I was like, what? But you've had so much success. You've had all this airplay. You've yeah. had all this streaming. You've had loads of support and you're wickedly talented. But then you just haven't lived the normal, the, your talent has emerged in the last three years yeah, where yeah. we've not had a normal industry. That's happened so often. Yeah. So often I've had Joplin on the on the stu- on the podcast. Well, it's out today, but it would have been out about a month ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like, and she she's like, I won't say her age, but she's young, and she was very young when she had her first bit of success during COVID. Mm. And you're just like, and then yeah, like her first shows are like supporting Damien Lazarus and playing to loom and playing this. And you're like, yeah. fuck, like I couldn't even imagine that pressure. It was the same with Amy, right? With Amy yeah. L like yeah, she, yeah, yeah. When she was on the podcast and spoke about it. It's like she, her first show was out of lockdown and she was like playing like with fat boy slim, hot since 82 doing all of this. And it's like, it's, it's tough because yeah. it takes, it's very different DJing in your bedroom to DJing in a club. And yeah, getting there's so many horrible factors about dj in a club that you just can't anticipate you get yeah. horrible audio bounce back off the hard surfaces in a club it's too loud you can't hear your headphones speakers broken your yeah. monitors aren't working stuff goes wrong all the time like it's such a different experience yeah and i i feel yeah i think it's a must be really really nerve-wracking having emerged as a producer mm. to then be kind of booked straight away on on like because playing a festival gig is totally different to playing a club and 100%. stuff. Like, these are things that you you wouldn't necessarily have picked up on yeah. from just making a wicked record at yeah. home. I think this is the thing: is like it also changes the whole, the whole DJ culture, and it. And I'm not I'm not saying what's what I prefer. Mm. I, I don't know what I prefer, but I think I know it takes a long time to become a producer, and it takes a long time to to become a good dj it doesn't take long to make a hit record because it's all luck not all of it but a lot of it's luck so it's like you're kind of thrown at the deep end which then goes back to that like the boy band kind of in the girl band days where it's like you're just so naive to like everything and you and then it's like you question is it actually what you want it is is what I'm doing exactly what I want. And I, 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 I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of artists. Well, I've, I've seen, I don't want to mention any no, names, but like where you have an artist that has a really big hit record 
and then doesn't release on that record label ever again or doesn't want to release yeah. that music and it's like that's it must be mentally that must be tough yeah for sure because a lot of the time if a record becomes a hit it kind of has become a beast that you didn't intend it to be mm-hmm. and you didn't necessarily you know club DJs are not the same as uh pop artists who go around and sit yeah. with radio hosts on breakfast shows and chat about the record it's a different it's a different lifestyle it's a different approach to things but we're now in a situation which is strange and brilliant that dance music is crossing into the mainstream right i want to make that clear i'm not i'm not like saying it's not because i love the fact that the music that we love is is now heard by even more people and can be appreciated by that yeah but i do understand it from an artist perspective if you thought a track would do well but then it goes beyond well and it becomes this monster. Yeah. It can kind of become, yeah, like disassociated from what you want to do. And it puts you in an interesting position as an artist. Yeah. Do I embrace this success I'm having yeah. because I'm having success with this record? Do I make another one that's like it? Yeah. Do I do all these kind of mainstream opportunities to, to kind of keep that success going and try and build myself as a, as a, different eyes but mm. it probably means i need to step away from what i originally thought i wanted to make and do yeah. with my career or do i go hard back into my roots and and kind of just put out a techno record next and yeah. like try and for, almost forget about that chapter and i you know you see it with artists a lot um must be tough the, must be yeah. tough especially when it's like your first big record is exactly that's the thing that i i'm glad i haven't had a hit record like and i've said this for years like yeah if i had a hit record now i'd be it'd be good because i know that i have the team around me i have and you've done the work i've i've done it and it's not for me it's not even about doing the work it's like i have the experience where like i know yeah. that i know i could probably handle a level of success that will then turn into something even bigger yeah and and we have the infrastructure and the foundations that it will turn into something bigger from then whereas i feel like a lot of what's happening now with what we were going back to at the beginning with it's there's it's not expected no which it never is a hit record's never expected but it's like i think like let's say for instance with camel fat and i know we've talked about them a lot but they had been touring for years they'd done lots for a long time as camel fat they had the foundations and look at where it's grown but like there's not been a single artist in the last two years that's had a hit well john summit yeah john's probably the best example john's probably the best example of that where it's kind of turned into something way bigger dom dollar as well yeah, but I, I I don't know enough about what was going on in the US around him before the hits. You know, John, he's, nothing, he's, really. John, nothing. Yeah. John was was a was a resident in Chicago, just doing resident yeah. stuff. Um, I but I think John's very different as well. He's he's an art. He's a character. Yeah. He is a he yeah. is a. There's so much to get your teeth into with John yeah. Summit as a project. Like whether you just follow him on instagram for the entertainment value yeah. you don't even have to be a fan of the music but you still know who john summit is and yeah. that that adds a different dimension and that i mean this is a hot we could go down a proper rabbit hole here on like what is an artist in 2022 three like is it a musician is it a performer is it do you I, know what i mean i think quintessentially is everything right it's like yeah. 
John has the perfect... For me, Dom, Dom Dollar has the perfect kind of balance mm. where it's partly character, partly very credible music, and it it's... His music does very well. Yeah. And and I think it, it's, it's music-driven, but it's also character-driven or personality-driven, and then that kind of carries on with everything else um yeah but yeah i think I, it's it's only in pretty niche electronic sounds now where you can be that original kind of bedroom i don't want to speak to anyone i don't want to be a persona thing like you, to, yeah in like the lo-fi in, stuff like yeah. the mild grabs he, the skin on well, skins things exactly like that. yeah but they're like they're the uber cool kids yeah and they, it goes back to what we were saying about up north. Is like they have a crew around them that really support, yeah. and and they have that foundation that that a lot of people don't have. So yeah. it's like, yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. How how do you do? How do you mix the radio and the A and R? Is there like is there rules at Kiss? So Kiss, there are no official rules. Now that's good. Uh, um, like I think BBC for example is different they yeah. have forms to sign and stuff if yeah. they have conflicts of interest Kiss is a commercial station I, I my show is monitored my track lists are monitored if I was playing an hour of Armada releases that I'd signed yeah. I think um, I think I think it would get noticed yeah, and yeah. ultimately you know they're, they're, I'm catering to a different audience, audience there I don't want to just play Armada releases for an yeah. hour I want to showcase the best new electronic music that's mm. my job there and that you know, that's a passion of mine. It doesn't matter whether it's signed on my my label or or not. Like, yeah. if I think a, a record is wicked, I want to champion it. And, yeah. Um, in terms of managing it, it actually, you know, a lot of the roster that I've now signed to Armada are artists that I first found for Kiss. Yeah, that makes sense. And I've been playing on Kiss. You know, Tommy, I was really early supporter of. Um, same with Richie Blacker. Yeah. Um, you know, Archie, I've been playing his records for years. These guys, I I play them on the ra- radio, and I like. I like that. That sounds yeah. wicked, and I want now I can sign it to the label, which, you know, is 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 a, is great. You know, and then I get to work with the guys because I know them through the radio show. Mm-hmm. So then I get to work with artists that I know and like yeah. with the label as well. And you know, no matter what anyone says, any any part of this industry is better when you're working with people you like. Totally, totally. Like, so that you know, it it I really see the radio and the label as as kind of complementary to each other. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, both have helped, you know, have helped the other the other one for sure. Well, I guess it's like, yeah, it's, I don't know about you, but well, I guess you, it's your job, you have to. But like listening to promos for me is like the biggest bane of my life, if I'm honest. <laughs> and I don't. <laughs> and I should, but I don't. Um, it's ha- interesting for me because, yeah. I, you know, most of my, my mates in this industry are, are DJs, they're yeah. not radio hosts. So I have this conversation with, with them about promos all the time because for, for DJs, promos is something you do when you have a show, when yeah. you have a gig, generally. You know, it'd be, I think a lot of them would like to say that they do it every Tuesday night, like religiously, Fuck but no. there's no reason to do promos unless you've got a gig to play them out. Yeah. Whereas I have a gig in terms of I have a radio show every week. Yeah. So I do my promos every week yeah. and... I think particularly in lockdown, that was a blessing because I was across music, whereas yeah. I know mates of mine who just didn't do promos for six months or a year because what was the point? Yeah. And then you've got to go and spend a, a day, two days doing promos. 
I do. I probably have, I'm I'm quite brutally quick with the radio show. I can tell if I'm going to play a record within seconds, three seconds, yeah, <laughs> and then it's on to the next one. Yeah, and I I used to. I used to do it better than I do now, but I used to kind of reply to every promo I got and just, yeah. you know, like, this this is why this is right or is why it's not right. Thanks for sending, please send more. And I'll still still say, if I like something but not quite enough, I will still say, hey, can you send me more stuff? Like, yeah, yeah. But um, these days it is, it's a little bit like, I can probably do my promos in an hour and a half, two yeah. hours a week. There's a lot of stuff coming in. Yeah. And a lot of it, you know straight away or not straight away but it's the final kind of 20 percent where you're like i like this does this does it work quite yeah yeah and and one thing that i, I love about kiss they've been amazing they've always given me 100 percent total freedom to play whatever i want yeah, yeah. and nice i've played that. some weird shit on yeah. the show <laughs> yeah um and i love playing the weird shit sometimes yeah. but i also have to remember that most people listening to my show are in a cab on the way to a mm-hmm. night out. Yeah. Like, that's where Kiss is, you know, particularly heavily in London, that's where it's consumed. It's yeah. in cars and in, in house parties. So whilst I might think it's really great to play this weird atmospheric breaks, <laughs> like, <laughs> cinematic thing, like, the, the listener base, that's not really what they're there for. Yeah. So so that's that's kind of, that's part of it as well when I'm planning the show. I might think a track is amazing, but mm. it just might not fit for yeah, the show. Yeah. And, like, there's... There, yeah, there's parameters of just is this a going out tune? Is yeah. this going to get people hyped up? That kind of need to be considered as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's not just whether I love it or not. No, I totally agree. I hear that. I hear that. Yeah, promos. I I would rather spend an hour digging on Beatport for me than yeah. listening to promos. And I yeah. I don't know why. I just really struggle with the whole promo thing. Do you know, I also think, though, interestingly, for me, I'm probably more lazy with my promo, with my digging, because yeah. I get sent so much music. That makes sense. For radio. That makes like, sense. I, 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 you know, and this is, this is, you know, hands up, I probably have emails that I just know I'll definitely check all these promos because I know this person, they send me good stuff every yeah. week, and they'll probably get three records for yeah, a show yeah. that I like out of it. Yeah. Because I... So I'm almost like subcontracting the taste making out of yeah, it yeah. sometimes. Well, I think that's like, the joys of a radio plugger, right? Is yeah. that like they are good at what they do, they're good at their job, and that's how they they're almost like the A and R's of the A and R's. Yeah. Yeah. To a certain extent. Is like Yeah, for sure. Or the A and R's of the DJ world is like, okay, listen up as like Jacko sent this. Like, okay, we we trust it. We trust Jacko, so for sure, it's gonna or Christian sent it or whatever. Or at least like, it's at least it's therefore it's worth the first listen. Exactly, you know, and exactly, yeah. and it's like and yeah. I I do no digging through Beatport. Really interestingly, um, and that's that's probably something I should do more of. But by the time I've got all the people who have personally emailed me records or Instagram me records yeah. or. Or I've found, or I've just, I've, I'm aware of because I've heard it somewhere else. Then all your the stuff that's been plugged to you from a plugger. Yeah. Then my mates' releases, you know, the artists that I, I, that just send me the stuff directly that I know. Yeah. And then you've got a lot of music already. And then I'm totally. thinking, right. And also, let's be let's be clear. I listen to other radio shows, so I'm I'm listening to. I'm like, oh, 
Oh, is that record? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I want that. Like, so by the time you've done all that, you've got a lot of music to then fit into what is actually not a lot of time. Yeah. I have probably play at Kiss because we have adverts, right, which which takes quite a bit of time out of the, the time. I probably play 25 records in a show. Yeah, that's not much, is it, in the grand scheme of... Is that over two hours? Over two hours, yeah. yeah. And when you take into account, you've probably got between five and ten repeats from last week because oh, it's really? a wicked record that you want to play again. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, you're like... You're literally talking 10, 15 new records a week. Yeah. And I used to do the show... I used to do the show... 100% brand new music every week. Yeah. But the trouble is, I want to help artists with big records make those records bigger. Bigger. And so so I my my kind of go-to rule this is this is getting getting into the boring stuff now. My 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 go-to rule is I'll play a record twice. Yeah. That's if I like a record it's good enough for the show. Yeah. It's good enough to be played twice. If it's like I love the record mm. or I've like I'm, for example, I feel like I've championed it or yeah, I found yeah, it or something. Yeah. Then it might get three times. Yeah. Very, very rarely would it get four times. Interesting. Like, and that's Interesting. the way I kind of like to move through it because there's an ecosystem with radio, right? Mm. My show is 11 p.m. till 1 a.m. The remit of my show is to find and champion the the big stuff early. Yeah. Before it kind of gets to, passed down into yeah. the more accessible shows, the yeah. more kind of with a wider audience. Um, and if a record gets added to the Kiss playlist, for example, I don't need to play anymore. That's not my job. Yeah. Like, it's going to be played on daytime rotation. Um, and if I hear that Madge, for example, Majestic is playing a load of records that I was playing on my show, then I don't need to play that anymore because it's, he's already get, it's already getting played to yeah. a kind of bigger audience yeah. earlier in the evening. And, you know, a big part of what I love about Kiss is we all kind of a little bit aware of what each other are playing and yeah. we kind of send send records to each other and stuff. So it's a nice ecosystem. And But, yeah, ultimately my remit is to find and champion new stuff. New stuff. I guess that was the question, was, was how does it work with Kiss? Because I, I, I know how it works with Radio 1, but, like, how does it work with you guys with it actually getting being a commercialised station? Like how does that then like you champion a record for three weeks it does well how do you guys monitor it to go into daytime playlists and things like that so there is there's a hard split between your specialist shows and the daytime playlist team yeah in so much as specialist presenters have 100 percent control over the music that they play every yeah. week the daytime shows are all playlisted by the centralized playlisting team to get a record on Specialist Kiss and to get a record on Kiss Playlist are two very different things yeah. and they take very different kind of um, achievements and box ticks and stuff. Yeah. And ultimately, we, we love it when a track starts in Specialist and we can recommend it to the playlist team or yeah. it's kind of picked up some momentum and then it gets on the playlist. That, that's the ideal journey, right? Because we want that to happen. But totally. often, the, the two are totally separate. Yeah. Like a da- pop dance record might not have had any specialist play but if it's massive and it's streaming 10 million or whatever then the kiss playlist team will be across it and they'll yeah they'll add it on on a kind of different merit Mm. equally though the kiss kiss guys are wicked in terms of they'll take a risk on a record yeah they'll they'll because we're kiss because we have our pirate roots yeah obviously the station's been on a journey we had a bit of a weird blip a few years back and we went really commercial and really kind of capital style now i think we're kind of 
back with a bit more of a identity and we're kind of happier to take some risks and so i've seen the guys on the playlist jump on club records really yeah. early and just say we think this is going to work for our for our Audience. listener base yeah, yeah yeah and and you know that that's something that i think is is, is great and is important in in radio do you guys monitor like shazams and stuff like that or is that not something that you you think about so me for my show yeah i wouldn't Definitely monitor shazams not. yeah but part of that is because i don't need to play records that they're out that, <laughs> yeah, that are, that they're even of, Shazamable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that are like big on Shazam. That's yeah. not necessarily the remit of my show. But also, you know, Shazam data is is a great indicator. But the amount of Shazams that I would get from a, a play at half midnight on Kiss is probably not that obvious in the data. Yeah. Like because there's so many other things going on. Yeah. So. If you know, if you get a prime time breakfast show play, for example, Different. you can see a Shazam spike. Yeah, yeah, massively. you're not going to see a, see a Shazam spike from me playing it at midnight. Like, no. well, and also like the, the the weird thing with Shazam now, since Apple buying it, is that they're not allowed. You can't Shazam records that aren't Stuff out. That's not it's released, so stupid, it's a nightmare. It's I, so stupid. I love Apple Music. Same. I think it's great, but I hate the fact that they own Shazam, and I hate that shazam is attached to apple music i yeah, wish it was same. this independent thing like it just it's they just killed it and it's such a useful tool for the yeah. whole industry but why can't i not shazam records that aren't released yeah. like just like why not it, it's so frustrating yeah and also from a label point of view <laughs> often a record gets released on a friday shazam doesn't work till monday yeah so mm. if you're launching a big record yeah. on danny howard on sarah story on majestic you want that instant shazam reaction mm -hmm. but you won't get any Shazams because it's it doesn't out. work until two Tuesday next yeah, week. Yeah, you just don't get it. It's it's so so counterintuitive. <laughs> it's so counterintuitive, and it's it's they sadly it's the one thing Apple Apple are good at everything pretty much, and they fucked that. Yeah, royally fucked it. <laughs> and there's other ones like Hound Dog. Have you ever used Hound Dog? I've not. Hound Dog's really Is it the same good. concept. It's exactly the same. Right, exactly okay. the same but it's a little bit better in certain genres than yeah. others it's like a different ai um but yeah the thing with shazam is that it's so commercialized if hound dog came out and was way bigger like it would take over shazam tomorrow because you can get all the same data and everything like that um yeah, yeah it's it's uh it's very strange very strange but mate i've we've just done an hour and 40 minutes <laughs> <laughs> flown by mate flown by um thank you for coming on man i've really enjoyed this conversation and i'm pretty sure we could keep going for another two hours um <laughs> how can people listen to your show to start with so kiss uh, every friday night from 11 p.m you can catch it on fm or in your car or on dab or on the kiss app tomorrowlands is dab plus and on the tomorrowland app um, if you're in america can you listen to kiss at all I actually don't know. You'd probably have to use a VPN. Yeah. I think you'd have to use a VPN for Kiss. Tomorrowland you can listen to. You in can America. on Tomorrowland, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is, you did, might not want to give your email out, but A&R, if people want to sign records to um, Anjuna, not Anjuna, sorry, that is blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> to Amada. <Ooh>. Sorry. <laughs> uh, to Amada, how, how can people reach out to you and things like that? What's the best way? Super easy. Just ping them to Ben at armadamusic.com cool wicked mate um hope 2023 is a good year for you 
Thank um, you, man. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, thanks for coming on, man. It's my pleasure. And um, I'll see you probably pretty soon, I would have thought. Looking forward to it. Keep safe, mate. See you in a bit. See you later. And that is a wrap. Big love to everybody that listened. Thanks, for Ben, for coming on. Keep safe. Give us a review. Subscribe.